0: You are listening to WHIB LP New Orleans 102.3. two point three. This is a Good Morning Comrade. Uh, we have a very special guest, Jacob Morrison, from the Valley Labor Report today. Good morning, comrades. It is uh, Friday, a beautiful Friday, uh, on uh, uh, the twenty. I'm sorry, the thirtieth of uh, April, two thousand twenty-one. Tomorrow's May Day. Uh, and here we are here with Good Morning Comrade. We have a very special guest today uh, from uh, w- from the Valley Labor Report. Uh, we have Jacob Morrison. What is going on, bro?
1: Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, so
0: I guess we can get started and talk a little bit about um, the Valley Labor Report and this program that y'all have out in Alabama. So you're with the Central Labor Council on, in uh, which city?
1: Huntsville. Well, it's a nor- the North Alabama Area Labor Council. I live in Huntsville, uh, but cool. we cover seven different counties in Alabama. So,
0: Great. And uh, that's awesome. And so what do y'all do over at uh, Valley Labor Report?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said, I'm the secretary, treasurer of the Labor Council um, here in North Alabama. And the Valley Labor Report is a project um, that myself and the uh, and the um, the president of a local machinist union have where we bought an hour and a half on every Saturday of the uh, of the local conservative talk radio station, and we fill it with uh, socialist unionist propaganda, and it's it's a lot of fun. So, so that you know that that's I'm basically even the, even gist. the Enemy
0: territory.
1: Yeah, Hello? yeah. It's where Sean Hannity started actually. That was his first radio gig. Was the station no we are on. Yeah, yeah. He's from Alabama.
0: 40. I mean, I didn't, I did not know mm-hmm. that. That's hilarious. Uh, so I guess, so, um, in a, you know, sort of very general sense. How, is, how long have y'all been doing that for? And how has that been working out?
1: We are, you know, we are right at a year. I, uh, we got on the, uh, on the radio, like, uh, mm-hmm. two weeks from now, a year ago. Um, wow. So we we've been doing it for a year, and um, I've been I've been uh, pretty happy with it um, j- personally. It's been a lot of fun. I think you know I I've always wanted to be able to just. Um, you know, call people that I find interesting and and talk with them. And so now I have an excuse, you know, like, oh, hey, I've got a radio show. I can, you know, do you want to talk to me on my radio show? Uh, So,
0: (laughs) so, yeah,
1: so I've always wanted to do that. And so now I do that. uh, So it's personally fulfilling in that way. Um, And, uh, you know, we've been able to cover, we've been able to cover strikes. We've been able to go on picket lines, do live shows from, local union halls covering the Amazon election do uh, for labor council events here in the area. Um, And, and, and it's been, so that's been really cool. And, you know, the, the purpose, right. We're on a conservative talk radio station. David and I are both kind of, you know, socialist unionist types. Um, But we want for the radio, at least we, we really zero in on like, Hey, unions are cool as shit, and you should be on. Oh, I forgot you're on the radio. You may have to leave that out. I can. uh, can, uh, can Yeah, (laughs) I we're on YouTube, and so I I I forgot about you having to be on the radio too. I don't I don't do that on my program. Um, But but you know unions are cool, and you should join a union too. Um, We don't talk as much about kind of the political stuff, like what because um, obviously, right this station is 24-7 nativist reactionary propaganda. We're not going to change their mind about every left issue in an hour and a half on Saturday mornings. But if we can get them to join their union at their workplace or to form a union at their workplace or to at least be amicable to the idea so that an organizer down the road can get them to sign a union card... Then we believe that that's it's obviously going to be better for them, right, because unions are unions are good. It's going to that is the best way. And that's why I do labor organizing instead of electoral organizing. I think that I think that starting a union is is going to be a a better way to improve your life than knocking on however many doors you could in the same amount of time for a politician. Right. Like so it's going to be good for them. It's going to be good for their coworkers um, and it's going to be good for society because of the benefits of increased union density in the area, but also for the, you know, for the, for the purpose of getting them on board with a more egalitarian left wing Economic and social worldview. You know, studies have sh- have borne out that that actually union membership. Um, it's not just that union members tend to be more socially and economically egalitarian. It's that membership changes people. Mm-hmm it changes people and it brings them closer to that. You know, it's not like a self-selecting thing. It's like you you can look at studies from when a person became a union member to now, and they are more socially and economically egalitarian and, and that, and you know, we can speculate as to why that is, but I believe that it's because uh, when you're in a union with somebody, when you're in a union with, with people that are different from yourself, you have these conversations with folks and you have, and, and I think that, you know, left social and economic ideals are the correct ones. And I think that when you, when you come into contact with those ideas more and more and more, you're going to be, um, going to be more likely to adopt them as your own. And, and that's even borne out by an interview. You know, it's borne out that we, we've done, uh, we've done interviews with researchers on this topic about how um, union membership decreases racism, racism among members. But we've also uh, on the personal level, right? One, one of the, one of my favorite interviews that we've done on the show way back in the beginning, I think June of last year, maybe May of last year, we had a, a, a two nurses that were in a nurses union in Pennsylvania. One of them, described himself as like an ultra liberal and the other one described (laughs) himself as a um, Christian constitutionalist conservative. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, I love both of those folks. Right. But you could tell in the way that the conservative fellow was talking that he was on at 50 something, 60 something years old, this guy was going through a political transformation. And 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 you know, he was like I I had never und- you know, I don't necessarily his name was uh, his name was Joe and the liberal fellow's named Bill. Um mm-hmm. Joe said that I had never you know, in the interview he said something about how he never really um he never really understood like he doesn't necessarily agree with bill on everything now, but he at least sees where he's coming from. And, and he's even said something about how I never knew that liberals were so much like me. I never knew that they were human (laughs) too. Right. And so, and, and that's because he, and he was, uh, and that, that organizing drive, there was an organizing drive there at that hospital three, three years prior to that interview, four years ago now, I guess. Um, and he was one of the main opposition folks to it. And then mm-hmm. they came back later uh, and th- they tried to do another one. And he was like in the center of it. And now he's going on talk radio shows across the country talking about how cool unions are. <laughs> and, awesome. and you know, he still identifies as a conservative, right? But he has been moved personally and politically in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And, um and so just, just across the gambit for, for, your, for, your personal, for your personal economic health, for your coworkers' economic health, and for the economic and social and political health of your community, I think union membership, organizing unions is like the best bang for your buck. And so yeah. if, if we could change their mind on this conservative talk radio station, if we could change their mind on this one thing, we think that they can be moved in a lot of other ways too.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned something that I think is uh, really interesting and I definitely fundamentally agree with, even though it's, like, in disagreement with a lot of uh, narratives in, like, mainstream media. So there's this sort of sense that, um, like, that union members are, are, like, necessarily this sort of, like, reactionary, like, white working class or whatever, and union leaders are these sort of, like, libs that are, like, a part of the democratic party or whatever like that. And that reality is way more complicated. There's a lot more wrapped up into that, but like the way that, especially like right-wing news, but like mainstream news more broadly, sort of really highlights that tension and and really sort of like makes that tension seem like it's irreconcilable, you know? Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, well, so, you know, there's something to that, right? Mm. Um, the, 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 the It's not... Uh, you know there's a grain of truth there like the the iron workers local in the area they sponsor the show and mm-hmm. the um hit um I forget what his what his Twitter handle is, but but the business manager, it, which is a terrible name for his position, like I that's awful. But yeah. anyway, he's you know I, he I, he's I, like I, elected. Or, just generally
0: is something he, that I don't love.
1: Yeah, yeah the the name the naming convention that a lot of trade unions have is not great. But he's the business manager of the Iron Workers Local Four Seventy Seven, and he's like. Um, an anti-fascist, anti-racist, ACAB, oh, you yeah. know, like he's he he's like out there, but he's got like he's an iron workers guy, right? He's and he's and we've talked about how a lot of his members are, you know, they're kind of reactionary and they're, you know, they've got like some problematic views. Most um, people do. Most people do. That's correct. Uh, but to the extent that it's True. um, It's much better for them to be in a union with their black and brown and queer brothers and sisters than uh, than not because of what I just laid out. Because of how it can be. Obviously, it's not going to transform everybody, and even the people that it does transform, it's not going to. You know. I'm not saying that. Okay, you get you get a former KKK member in a union, and he's going to come out with blue hair at, and he's going to be at the next women's march, right? I'm not saying that, okay, but <laughs> but, uh, but it does change people, and that's borne out by the personal and 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 the and the data and and everything that that we've seen. So you should want to the extent that it's true, like. That should that's like a good thing. To the extent yeah. that there is a reactionary white working class that is organized in in the union movement, okay, that's like okay. And like, let's talk about how good that is. But mm-hmm. um, you know, there's and and there is a uh, in the upper echelons of the leadership, there is certainly a um, there's a um, in my view, kind of discomforting allegiance to the Democratic Party. I mean, Trumpka is. Like he goes on about how how great Biden is and how how great um, all these Democratic politicians are. And uh, you're in know, a Randy Weingarten in the teachers union does a lot of this. But there's you know, there, there are there are tensions there and the labor movement isn't as powerful as it once was. And so we've got one party that doesn't want to destroy us. So we don't want to you know, they don't want to piss them off. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think. I think that the, the the problem there is that a lot of the the members, even the ones that aren't reactionary, ones like me, you know, I, it almost feels like folks like Trumpka and Weingarten like think we're stupid. Like they yeah. think that we don't see that. You know, it's like, look, look, okay. I understand but you know, I understand we're adults. We're union members. We're brothers and sisters. I understand that Biden is better than Trump. I understand that his rescue plan was good. I understand it's better than the tax cuts. Like you don't have to tell me that he is the best thing since sliced bread. You don't have to tell me that, you know, but, uh, but the structure of these organizations, even in the, the least democratic ones, like something like the UAW, where um, there, there's a caucus in the UAW, the Unite All Workers for Democracy, UAWD, fighting for one member, one vote for their uh, upper echelon of leadership for the international presidents. Even in those places, the structure of our organizations, the structure of unions are fundamentally worker-centered and democratic. And, yeah. um, you know, and and it may not, it's not the easiest thing to do, but if enough members say, we don't like the way that Trump goes representing us, we don't like the way that Garden is representing us, we don't like the way that this or that or the other thing, how much they're paid, for example, if there's enough pushback on that, we can get rid of them. You can't get rid of your boss. You can't get rid of, you know, uh, of, of Bezos by voting him out. You can vote yeah. out these people to the extent that they're problematic. And so, um uh, but there's, you know, there, there there's some of that. I think that it's, uh, you know, I think the tension between the membership and the leadership, uh, you're going to have that in a lot of organizations, but unions sure. are just fundamentally and structurally, like the best thing that that we've got right now. And to the extent that they are problematic, we should work to reform them instead of, you know, like, Um, instead of saying, like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you know, because I've talked to the folks in UAWD and like the UAW is really the picture of, of, um, you know, corrupt business unionism right now. Right. It's like really kind of the worst case. And if you actually kind of look at some of the, um, some of the charges that have been found to valid against some of the leadership, uh, like two, two, two of the last three international presidents of the UAW are in jail right now. So, you know, it's some, that's some bad stuff going on in the UAW, but the members in the UAWD, the (laughs) unite all workers for democracy caucus, they're not going to tell you to burn your union card. They're going to tell you that, the UAW has flaws, but the UAW is the reason that I have a better job than folks working in in the Hyundai uh, factory down in Alabama, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and so you should join the UAW if if there's a UAW local where you're at, and you should work to change it to the extent that that it needs changing. Um, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And that's the folks. That's yeah. the folks in like. Literally, like the the most corrupt union in the country right now. Right. You are listening to WHIBLP New Orleans
0: 102.3. This is a good morning, comrade. Uh, we have a very special guest, Jacob Morrison from the Valley Labor Report today. There's nothing that makes me more angry than an anti union leftist. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah but it, it drives me crazy but yeah, um, and it's
1: and, and uh, uh, well let's let's talk about just for just for a second cuz some yeah. of that is so stupid it is mm-hmm. so it is mind numbingly dumb uh i don't know like the convo couch or or um she she had some tweets about the pro act and about unions and she said that the pro act wouldn't do anything for workers even if it was passed and she said that unions don't do anything for workers and it's like you don't know anything like you don't know anything about anything uh, you know, if the pro act was passed, like we can, okay, fine. You know, convo couch, like Isabella or whatever your name is. If you want to talk about the politics of getting the pro act passed and whether or not that's likely to happen, and the corruption of the and and the and the you know corporate Democrats or whatever aren't going to pass it, like okay, fine. Don't gaslight me and tell me that the pro act, as a union member, the pro act is not going to be like the most transformational bill ever passed in the last. Hundred years. for <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like read the damn thing. You know, uh, it, it would, it would legalize secondary strikes, which was the first thing after the passage of the NLRA that the business community wanted to get rid of. It would uh, prohibit permanently replacing striking workers. That means if you go out on strike, you are guaranteed to have your job back after you go out on strike. Currently they can permanently replace you, i.e. fire you. Mm-hmm. It would make that illegal. Um, It would say that uh, if there is significant unfair labor practices over the course of a union election and you had a majority support before the election, uh, before the uh, uh, illegal coercion and intimidation, then you get your union because you express majority or support before the secret ballot election. And if they interfere with your right, then you they believe the first thing you said. It would say that um, mandatory ca- captive audience meetings are an unfair labor practice and illegal. It would say that uh, it would eliminate right to work laws across the country. I mean, it's just the thing I, it would it would increase the pen. It would actually penalize unfair labor practices, which is currently not within the purview of the National Labor Relations mm-hmm. Board at 10 Ten thousand per unfair labor practice. There's a, currently a contractor in New Jersey. Seven point five million reasons to pass the PRO Act is an ar, is an article on Labor Law Lite, which is a substack by uh, labor lawyer Brandon Magner. There's a contractor in New Jersey that literally ignored um, subpoenas and things from the NLRB for three years, and his total fines as of right now are ten. Thousand dollars. If Incredible. he had done if he had done that under the Pro Act, his total fine would be seven point five million dollars. That is going to drastically change employer behavior over the course of elections and in over the course of of of, of anything else. So the Pro Act. Cool as hell. It is good, and if you don't recognize, you know, we can talk about the politics of it getting passed and, and Democrats and whatever. That's fine. Don't gaslight me about what the PRO Act would do if it was passed. Yeah. And then also they were, ta- they were talking about how unions don't do anything for workers. That's that's again that is silly. We can we can criticize. The business unionism aspect of unions, but again, you've got to recognize that they work in a lot of instances. Union workers make uh, 10, 20, 30 percent more than similarly situated non union workers. They have uh, they pay less for more health care. They have union workers are the only people left in this country with pensions. Uh, union union nursing homes had a 40% lower. Uh, Covid nineteen mortality rate than mm. uh, as compared to non union w- nursing homes. You know, so the, they're good for their workers, they're good for their patients, they're good for their customers, for their communities. I mean, everything. Like it's all unions. Unions are good. Even you, you know, um, again, union I am. Unions are good. I'm fine with you criticizing like some of the faults in unions. Unions are in, are human institutions, and they're not perfect, and they've got flaws, and there are things that you can criticize. But saying that they don't do anything for working people in this country is crazy. You're just totally removed from reality.
0: Yeah. One of the uh, well, I got two points. One is that like. When I hear criticism, like even if it's like somewhat constructive criticism of union, unions, I get like instantly defensive of people I strongly disagree with, based on mostly on who, I, who I'm having the conversation with. So, like, um, I remember when uh, the during the, the Bernie Sanders election, I actually put this out in a tweet. When the Culinary Two Two Six over in um, Nevada um, went like sort of soft went out for for Joe Biden and like I see a bunch of people talking about how like the leadership of Two Two Six is uh is like like traitors to the working class or like something like that and and I put out the tweet that was like yeah I can't wait to like criticize Two Two Six in my union circles and defend them to the death in my in my like more general (laughs) circles. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's exact. Yeah, that's that's exactly my thing. Like, I, I, you know, if you if you heard the the conversations that David and I have about about unions, like off the air, or about some particular leaders in in unions in Alabama or whatever, like I be, you know, but that's like that's in the union hall kind of yeah, stuff, it's in, right? It's
0: in, to keep it in a family, you
1: yeah, know? you keep it because ultimately, yeah, you know, we're we are on the you know. Um, we, or we you can, can talk. I'm sorry. I didn't mean. No, it. no, no, no. Or if you're
0: going to make the criticism, like saying that the leaders of this union are traitors to the working class, or whatever the hell, like you first off sound like an idiot. Like the, yeah. pe- the like the reason that. Culinary two two six is too so strong is because they have gotten the goods for their members for a very right. long time. They, I mean, right. they're a huge part of politics in Nevada. I mean, right. you can criticize how they how they operate and how they're a part of the reed machine or whatever the hell. That's fine, but like saying that they're not representing their members effectively is just completely patently and totally untrue. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Um, anyway, so, um, the other point I wanted to make is you were talking about the PRO Act, and I'm glad you brought that conversation in that direction, because we've talked a lot about the PRO Act uh, on this program, and uh, one of the things that you mentioned is, like, the extremely, like, laughable amount of fees or whatever that uh, that union busting sort of brings in. So essentially, it's effectively become almost like a cost of doing business, and right now it's, like, a low cost. And yes. And I like, thinking about that and thinking about, um, the Amazon union that just, uh, unfortunately the drive failed. It's being in litigation in terms of, uh, I mean, in terms of, uh, the union sort of violations that have taken place. Um, but essentially like, how, would how would something like the pro act, how would something like the pro act have changed, um, that union election? What would Amazon have been able to do? And I guess, we can start this actually by talking a little bit more generally about what happened down there and then we can kind of get into that.
1: Yeah. Well, so as far as what would have happened if the Pro act had been law, that is very convenient because we had a conversation with Brandon Magner, um, on mm. the show three weeks ago or so about that. And I just released the, um, I just released a clip of that interview where we talked about that. The, the, the part where we talked about that specific thing, it's on our YouTube channel, the Valley labor report. But, um, you know, w- um, Talking about, uh, you know, I think what the PRO Act would have done is, um, I think that's really central to how the campaign went um, bec- uh, uh, because, you know, I mentioned that um, it would have made captive audience meetings illegal, um, mm-hmm. which, in, and captive audience meetings are, for those who don't know, they're, they're meetings where um, the, uh, and this is, uh, this is legal because it's on company time uh, th- this is the rationale like it's on company time it's in company property and if you're on company time your boss can make you do whatever they want basically and so uh, while you're on the clock they make you and in which the 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 Im- implication here right is that if you don't come to these meetings you're going to get fired they make you come to these meetings and they fill your head with anti-union propaganda they lie to you in in many actually they literally just lie to you they misrepresent um they 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 do half truths like like how you know the union can can't guarantee you um, better wages or working conditions. And it's like, well, you know, like that's technically true, but um, how, what are the mechanisms by which unions do get better wages and working conditions? Is because of collective bargaining and, and that negotiation process uh, w- between the union and the company. And what is the Con, what? how does the contract get ratified that workers ultimately uh, work under? They vote for it. The membership vote for it. And and like membership in other workplaces, even in the same union, don't get a vote on it. The international president doesn't get a vote on it. None of these things. It's like, if you work under that contract, you're the only person that gets a vote on it. So I have faith in those Amazon workers that had they won their union that time and they had gone into contract negotiations, they wouldn't have voted to ratify a contract that did not increase their wages and working conditions. Right. Um so, you know, it would have and and so the PRO Act would make um, meetings like that illegal because of their um, because of their uh, coercive and uh, their coercive nature. But by the fact of it being on the clock time, by the fact of it being, um, you know, the boss saying it or people the boss has has hired to say it, because if you've ever like if you ever worked a job, you know, that any interaction with your boss or your supervisor is inherently Coercive. It it like it just any conversation. Even if you're just talking about uh, the, about the day, right? You know, this person has my life and my livelihood in their hands. I want to be on their best best behavior. Or I want to be on my best behavior. I don't want to do anything to upset them. Blah 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 blah.
0: Yeah, that's why um, you say
1: good morning back to them when they say good morning
0: instead of yeah, you.
1: <laughs> exactly. Even just these innocuous, that's exact that's such a I'm gonna I'm gonna have to use that going going, you know. If it was just a coworker, maybe you would say good morning because you want to, but you're thinking yeah. in the back of your mind, I've got to be, I've gotta treat this person with respect, you know, like mm-hmm. every e- like every interaction, even the just the most when they say good morning to you, it's laced with that. And yeah. so, um, Bosses should have no part of whether or not, or, or of uh, deciding how workers vote in a union election, especially not on the shop floor. They should not be able to um, put them at the cost of their job in these meetings. They should be able to not go uh, and and so anyway, and that was one of the from interviews with anti-union um, anti-union workers at Amazon, it looks like that was one, that was kind of the crux of the thing because, uh, the union didn't have access like that to every single worker where the company did. The company had 24 seven access to any worker that it wanted, um, on and off the shop floor. And, and so these captive audience meetings really changed a lot of minds. Um, you know, they were able to get 3000, um, they were able to get 3,000 cards signed, which is more than half of the unit, but they only got 700, 809, or uh, actually I think the union feels pretty confident that they, that they got 1,100 votes because there were um, – there were 500 ballots that were contested. They were mostly contested by Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they feel pretty confident that they got 1,100 votes. Um, so that's, you know, um, only 30%-ish of the original cards that they signed of workers saying that they wanted a union. And that's because of the coercion and intimidation that came from these mandatory captive audience meetings uh, that that happened in the workplace. Uh, so that would have been a huge thing. And, and um, there were 23 there were 23 unfair labor practices that the RWDSU alleges Amazon did over the course of the campaign over and beyond what would have been illegal under the pro act. And um, each of those uh, unfair labor practices that are found to be valid would have a huge, uh, that would have a much bigger fine. And Mm. so, you know, these things are going to, they're, they're going to change the, you know, they're going to change Amazon's willingness to, potentially, um, violate the law and, uh, the pro act, you know, it in- increases, increases the union's ability to reach out to workers, to have access to workers, um, and for workers to have access to themselves. And it decreases the, uh, employers access to the workers and it decreases the amount of coercion and intimidation that is legal. Uh, so, so I think that, um, I think under the Pro Act, it's very likely that that unions or, or that the union would have won. And and if if the Pro if all else had been equal, if if the if the Pro Act had been law and the campaign in every other way went the same way, they would have their union now actually because mm-hmm. uh, the penalty for um, the penalty for unfair labor practices that are found to have a material impact on the election over the course of a union election is that we're going to go by what the workers originally said, which 50% of the workers at this Amazon facility originally said they wanted a union. It was only after the um, legal and yeah, it was only after the legal and illegal intimidation and coercion that they voted the the union down. So uh, they would have a union now if, uh, if the pro act had been law.
0: And, And to put it in sort of like, like capitalist terms, I guess to say like at the very, very least like, like in, I don't wanna like undersell how much money Amazon spent on um, union busting lawyers and you know how they you know what they had to do to leverage. I mean it was spending like ten thousand dollars or hundreds of thousand of dollars a
1: day or something crazy like that. Yeah, I think um, the total expenditure was estimated to be like twenty-five million.
0: Twenty-five million dollars to bust the union. And it and like they're willing to um, like essentially suffer that cost. But, like, the amount that they're going to have to pay in fines is going to be kind of laughable compared to that. And if you can actually, to to kind of put it in capitalist terms, make it hurt more, make them pay more, even though they're one of the most powerful companies in the world, you know, make them them essentially uh, make the ante for union busting essentially be way higher and make them have to go through this stuff again. But through another union election, they can't make it go away.
1: Well, no, no, no. So, so currently that's the, not the increased fines, but currently what's going to happen, what's going to happen if these, if these unfair labor practices are found to be, are are found to be valid, there will be another union election under current union, uh, under current labor law Um, under the pro act, their union would just be certified right now. because, Because it would go back. Yeah. If, if, the if more than 50% like like start from the beginning, if more than 50% of the workforce says, I want a union, they sign a yeah. union authorization card, that is what triggers the NLRB secret ballot election. Okay. Yeah. So if over the course of the campaign and the election, the employer engages in unfair labor practices like the mailbox, like um like the coercion, the threats of loss of pay, loss of jobs, closing the facility. Those are things that Amazon did. They actually fired pro-union workers over the course of this campaign. Um, those are things that the Amazon did over the course of this election. Currently, the penalty for that is, okay, you just have to do it again. Yeah. Okay. Under the PRO Act, it, it says, you the the workers originally said, I want a union. And then you violated the law and got them to vote the way that you wanted to vote. We're gonna believe the thing that they said before that before yeah. they were uh, um before they were threatened and coerced and things like that. Yeah. And so that's what the Pro Act would do. And that's and that is really gonna be the thing for employers like Amazon. Even for employers like Amazon, even the increased fines for unfair labor practices aren't going to be enough to change their behavior. The thing that's going to change their behavior over the course of a union election is the fact that the penalty is going to be we will certify the workers as a union. That's going to change their behavior over the course of a union election. That is huge. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's not quite
0: card check, but it's sort of like the, the like it's, fallback is called, kind of like card check.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's card check. The employer breaks the law.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty, uh, pretty slick. I like
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like it because the, the, the argument against card check was always the sanctity of the secret ballot. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what this does is rhetorically, um, pro proact folks are like this, does more than anything else in in the law to protect the sanctity of the secret ballot. It says right. that if, there is absolutely no card check if nobody breaks the law, right? As right. long as the employer doesn't break the law, sanctity of the secret ballot is you fine. Right like we're <laughs> yeah, you follow the law, we'll have a secret ballot. You don't follow the law and we'll believe what the workers said originally, which is that they want a union. And, uh, so that's, you know, it, look, if you want a secret ballot, the secret ballot is on the table for you. Just don't break the law. Just don't illegally intimidate and coerce your employees. Don't threaten them with things that you can't threaten them with. Don't, you know, I like it. It's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, Yeah,
0: that's fantastic. Um, You are listening to WHIBLP New Orleans 102.3. This is a good morning, comrade. Uh, We have a very special guest, Jacob Morrison, from the Valley Labor Report today. I do want to change gears a little bit. Uh, I invited you on here because you were mentioning on your show, I was watching it just last week about, and you've been talking about it for a little while, about a strike that's happening uh, with mine workers up in uh, northern Alabama. Can you sort of like describe sort of the broad strokes of what's going on, the company involved in the, uh, and, and sort of just kind of get into that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so, um, so it's, in, it's more in central Alabama. It's right outside Tuscaloosa, actually. And the and, uh, broad strokes are that 1,100 coal miners are on strike um, because, uh, and, and going back further, setting the, setting the stage, um, this mine was owned by Jim Walters Energy, uh, energy company or whatever. And back in 2015, they went bankrupt. They were bought out by another company. Uh, at Warrior Met and because of the um, because of the uh, bankruptcy laws in this country um, the workers uh, were basically kind of forced to accept a uh, huge concessions in order to ostensibly bring the company out of bankruptcy and to make it profitable again so what were those concessions those concessions were among other things an eight dollar an hour pay cut eight dollars an hour wow. that is yeah it was huge an $8 an hour pay cut. We're talking like, you know, more than uh, like, I, I forget how much I think, I think we said that that would be like $1,600 a month. That's like two or three house payments down in Brookwood. Brookwood is super rural. I went down there to to walk the picket line with them and I thought about streaming from the picket line and like, it's terrible. Like I can't even call anybody from out there. It's so rural. Right. So that's going to be like two or three house payments. And, um, and that's just the wages. They also had huge concessions on their retirement packages, on they don't have a pension anymore, on their health care. They are uh, um – um and they, so they took a big old bath when
0: this happened.
1: Huge bath. Um, they, they used to have, uh, they, they used to only work six, only work six days a week. Um, <laughs> and they had the option if like, if production was increased, they couldn't be made to work a seventh day. Uh, they, oh. they were, they were given the option. <laughs> <to> work. <laughs> yeah. Right. They were given the option of working a seventh day if they wanted to, to help the company get production. Now they don't have the option. If the company says you got to work seven days a week, you have to work seven days a week. Uh, they don't get, uh, they don't get double time anymore. They don't get lunch. Uh, they don't get a paid lunch break down in the coal mines. They have to eat lunch down in the coal mines. Uh, and, and they don't
0: dirty.
1: for 30 minutes. They're dirty. They don't have a McDonald's down there off the clock. Um, and that's crazy. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so they took they, they are currently the, uh, worst compensated group of coal miners in the state, in the state. And so, um, they are. Uh, and so, you know, their, their negotiating committee is empowered by the membership to um, to author, to 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 authorize a strike. And so uh, when they went to the negotiating table, uh, the 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 unions uh, and the workers, they, what they were asking for was parity, not cr- anything crazy, but parity with. Other coal miners in the state. And that's because, right, the, the plan to get the union to or get the company to be profitable again worked. Uh, two of the last five years have had record breaking production for this coal mine. Mm. There have been there's been more coal pulled out of this mine for uh, in two two of the last five years than ever in its 50 year history. Um and they're paying they're, workers less than ever
0: before. Yes. So like.
1: <laughs> and and the uh, the executives now are they have had 15, 20% pay increases supervised. Get uh, 20000 $20, dollars 30000 dollars bonuses per quarter, and they're paying um, they're, they're paying, like you said, workers uh, less than they ever have before. And so Ooh. the the workers um that's
0: because they've earned it, right? They've done such a great job just slashing the salary right, of workers right. all the way down.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so workers, uh, their position were okay, pay us, you know. We sacrificed for the company for five years, for six no. years now. But that was back in 2015 that they took those concessions. We've sacrificed for the company for six years. It's profitable. You're making millions of dollars more. The company's making millions of dollars more. We pulled more coal out than ever in the history of the mine. Pay us the same as every other coal miner in Alabama. What was the company's position? The company's position was take another an hour pay cut on top of the $8 an hour pay cut that you took six years ago, take more concessions to your health care, to your retirement. Um, We're not going to give you overtime. We're not going to give you anything like that. It was take more concessions, not even stay at the same. It was take more concessions. That was the company's Mm -hmm. position. So the the negotiating committee, the bargaining committee, the international president said, screw you, go on strike. And so they went on strike. Eleven hundred coal miners in Alabama went on strike. Uh, then there was a tentative agreement struck between the bargaining committee and the um, and the un- and, and, and the company. That was meager improvements. It was like a dollar an hour raise. It was um, time and a half instead of double time. It was paid lunch, but it wasn't anywhere near what other coal miners are making or what they used to make. Um, and, uh, but, but the, the bargaining committee said, um, okay, look, we've got this, we've got this agreement. Here it is. Let us know what you think. And the interesting, an interesting little kind of behind the curtain thing that I noticed is that a lot of times, uh, bargaining committees, international leadership will really try to sell a contract like it's kind of kind of like Trumpka does with the Democrats. A lot of times they'll really try to sell a contract, even if it's not the, the best. Uh, yeah. Even if the members don't really like it, they'll really try to sell it because they want them to accept it. They didn't do that this time. They just basically said, look, this is what we've got. Let us know what you think. Membership voted it down. Overwhelmingly, they voted to continue on strike.
0: That means um, you're in a very powerful position, right? Like, usually yeah. like, your members are on board, especially if you're not trying to make those. That, I do not mean to Like, if you're not trying to make the case that this is a great contract to members and members reject it, that means you have actually negotiating leverage to keep the strike going.
1: Exactly. At the table, uh, you can say to the company, look, you know, we gave them the contract. They said, no, like, you got to give some more. And so that's what they did, um, and that's genuinely democratic too. I don't mean to like yeah, yeah, it, yeah. That, that is
0: exactly like like that is where the power in negotiation comes from because. Right. If you like, like production stops, or like the managers or whatever, like have to go and do all that. That's one of the things I learned at a UAW, like one of those uh, part, you know, GM parts of the way strike by lines. The other day, it's like they got managers driving trucks right now, which is hilarious. Right, um, right. So, so, so you're making them. I mean, it sucks for workers, no doubt. Like, mm-hmm. like missing checks and all these other things, but like, seriously, like, 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 if you're like asking your members. To to be a part of this process,
1: you have so much more leverage. You have so much more buy-in. Yeah, I'm sorry, continue exactly that's exactly right and that's what happens anytime you know the, so there there's uh, there are different ways that different unions negotiate so da, uh, David's union the machinist union my co-host uh, they will not go on strike until like so they'll take a before they before the bargaining committee calls a strike they will uh, give a contract to the membership and and say vote it vote yay or nay do you want it and if you don't want it do you hate it enough to go on strike against it? Um, and and it's all membership. Uh, the machinist union is a very democratic union in that way. In that way, um, mm-hmm. but the uh, the uh, the mine workers, what they do instead of doing that is before they go into the nego- negotiations, uh, the bargaining committee says, do we have the authority to call a strike if we feel that the contract is not good enough?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the membership said yes. And so they had that authority unilaterally, um, but 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 that is important that they took that. Uh, it was only three or four days after the strike was called that they came back with a tentative agreement because they wanted to make sure that look, we've got you know if, if the strike is going to continue, that we've got buy-in from the workers, and so that yeah. that's that's good. Um, so they've been on strike now for about a month, and uh, the strike is still going. I don't, I haven't really heard anything about the company coming down uh, or or. or Um, coming up with more concessions and the the company has actually been really um, they they filed an injunction against the union um, which uh, 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 a couple things that the complaint noted was that there were two or three instances of buses of scabs getting turned away at the entrance because striking coal miners would not allow them to pass through the gates which is cool as hell but technically Mm. illegal Uh, (laughs) and so the um, Uh, But but the rest of the complaint was really just them was just the bosses crying about being called mean names as they crossed the picket line and scabs. (laughs) Yes, scabs crying about being called mean names and like tomatoes being thrown at the buses or something. It was really, really kind of pathetic stuff. And um, I, I enjoyed reading it, though. (laughs) (laughs) it It might be time to just sit down and just read some of them out
0: loud but anyway yeah um, yeah
1: a lawyer a lawyer for the umw is the sponsor of the show And, and so he sent the complaint to me and i i got a kick out of it but uh but the courts granted a temporary restraining order against the union which one of the things that it did was it reiterated the law like okay guys you know you can't stop scabs from coming in and and you know like okay fine whatever that's what Okay, fine. I am fine with that. But um, the thing that is crazy that it did is it limited the number of coal miners per entrance to six, uh, and so the the picket lines the picket lines were uh, have to be set up twenty four seven the way that. The law is it in our country for some reason. If you're on strike, you've got to have your picket line set up 24-7. And so at all of the entrances to the coal mines, they've got picket lines set up 24-7. And, and the court mandated that um, that there be no more than six. And, and this is between the union and their community supporters. So like, mm. if there are six coal miners already on the line, I couldn't go. Under this temporary restraining order, I couldn't right. go beyond that picket line. I'd have to go to a different one. There are about a dozen picket lines in Brookwood. Um, What's
0: the justification for that? Like, that's <laughs> ridiculous it's absurd fundamental like free association laws, you know, exactly.
1: Uh, First, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of association, freedom to protest, all of that. Um, the, you know, ostensibly the justification is like, so that like safety and so that they don't have the ability to stop scabs coming in. But it, it happened that this complaint was filed a week or two after the strike, uh, the strike, um, began. It, over a week or two of production scabs being busted into the facility it happened like two or three times right mm-hmm. this is, this was not a widespread issue and um, this was not you know it would be one thing if scabs never got through maybe it would be I would still be on the side of the workers but it would yeah, be one right. you know as far as the law goes and as far as capitalist capitalist courts are concerned it would that would be one thing but that didn't happen. It was two or three times, and so the entirety of the uh, uh, the entirety of the um, uh, of the union and its supporters uh, now they're limited to six six people per picket line, and um, and that that they have been under that temporary restraining order for two or three weeks now. It was just extended and amended on the twenty eighth to now they can have ten people per picket <laughs> line now they're going to have 10 people per picket line. And um, you know, but like you said, the the right to freedom of, you know, people were just literally conservatives were just talking about how it was so un-American that at the um at, at the the joint address or whatever uh, Biden said no amendment is absolute. You know, mm. if we're talking about any uh, rights that should be protected, it should be the freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of protest, freedom, freedom mm. of association. And this has all the trappings of a good, ostensibly, of a good cancel culture, PC, yeah. run amok, activist judges, the state coming down and bearing its weight on. Rural workaday Alabama coal miners, and you know, this has the trappings of a good cancel culture PC run amok story for conservative media outlets.
0: It's way I I care about this a whole lot more than like, yeah, and like Ben Shapiro or whatever getting canceled or
1: whatever, right? Right. (laughs)
0: This (laughs) is liners of the world,
1: yeah. I mean, this is all the trappings of a good story like this, and you're not going to hear a peep, even from local conservative media, mm-hmm. you know, local, con- like I'm, a, you know, I'm on a conservative talk radio station. I listen to the shows. Uh, so, th- mm-hmm. but because every Thursday morning I call in and so I listen to it because I want to be prepared want to make sure that nothing catches me off guard. Literally the only times that people listening to this station have heard about the strike is when I'm on the air. Mm-hmm. The only times they're not talking about it at all at mm-hmm. all it's cr- and and much less people in the national conservative media much less local or national conservative politicians because they don't actually care about freedom of speech or workers. They just want to make sure that their uh, millionaire and billionaire friends can have their books listed on Amazon.com. Like, screw you. I don't care about that. I care about coal miners in Alabama having freedom of speech. That's what I care about. And once they get their freedom of speech, once workers in this country have freedom of speech, then after that, we can talk about whether or not it's bad that, a multimillionaire had his book taken off of Amazon.com, but you can still get it anywhere else. It's just right. not, you know, that's, you know, after that, then maybe we can talk about that. But first,
0: yeah. if you have a best selling book, you're not canceled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Um, Anyway, yeah, a hundred percent agree with you on that. And like, we and speaking of sort of like the, some of those conversations around cancel culture, we just to give a quick self plug: we had on our show last week uh, Ben Bird just talk about his book "Canceling: Comedian Wild World Burns," uh, which is an interesting sort of take on this uh, as well. Uh, you should take a look at that. Um, so I guess oh, to yeah. kind of like um, kind of like you know wrap us up. We got about ten minutes left. Um, in terms of what you can do to support coal miners or any funds, or is there any way that, that we can get people out to to like 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 the, the, the story that you're telling me is absolutely like hair raising. And like how can we get this in the ha- like this story into more people's like consciousness?
1: How can we get it into their consciousness? So I've got a, um, I've got a video from from the show a couple of weeks ago uh, that is going to go live on the channel at nine o'clock. If you want to share mm-hmm. that, that would be good. That goes over, um, it goes over most of the things that I just went over. It doesn't go over the the. Um... Oh, hello. Yeah, I'm hearing you. Oh, okay, Hi. sorry. I don't. My my mm-hmm. computer screen is is messed up. But um. It goes over most of the things that I just went over. Um, it goes over most of the things that I just went over uh, as far as... Um uh, the, the background of the strike at, at that time, the temporary restraining order hadn't been issued, uh, to the workers yet. So, uh, it doesn't go for that, but if you want to share that, that would be good. They don't have any online, uh, fundraising stuff set up yet, but, uh, really, you know, we, we've got a few videos, uh, we, we've been talking about it. So, you know, maybe share that and we are going to be, I, I'm going to be trying to set up a Fundraising stream, I think, uh, in the next week or so. Um, so, you know, follow us on uh, on Twitter at Labor Reporters, and mm-hmm. and you can stay in the loop on that. I, I want to try to do a fundraising stream, and maybe even try to do it on on a bigger uh, YouTube channel or Twitch streamers. Um, maybe see if I can get them to host it so that we can get more eyes on it and more funds to them. But they don't have anything set up right now. Um, I'm trying to get them to set something up because I don't think that they really realize how much they'll be, they would be able to get if they had something easy that somebody could just click a button and send them $5. Yeah. They don't, I'm, I'm trying to talk to the, I I've been having conversations with the international vice president, um, down there, uh, about this. And, and so we're, um, and and so I'll I'll shout that out as soon as as soon as I have that for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, follow at Mine Workers. That is the um, the United Mine Workers Twitter account at Mine Workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, They'll have updates there. And there is a coal miner's wife that's been active on Twitter. uh, Hayden Wright, I think is her name Um, on my most recent tweet. She replied to it. So if you go there, uh, if you go to my Twitter page at Jacob M underscore a L, you should be able to follow her. Uh, I think her name is Hayden Wright. Um, And uh, Kim Kelly, has has she was down there for about a week she's got some really good good stuff coming out for means tv and the real news network so follow all of those folks means tv the real news network grim kim on twitter um she's got she's gonna have some good stuff coming out soon i'm really excited for that uh i had a i i had a uh a a guest i guess hosted the working people's podcast interviewed uh five or six coal miners that's down awesome. there about that. So so all that would be good to to share and to learn more about it and to hear from the coal miners themselves. Um and and I I wish that they had something online already. Like I mm-hmm. I mean you know, I'm, and I'm going to be pushing them this weekend to try to get something set up as soon as I can because we've had people that actually sent money to the show uh, for us to send to them, and I still haven't been able to get it to them. So I've got like a hundred dollars in our bank account that's for the mine workers, and I'm like, ah, oh, guys, you know, <laughs> give give me a place to put this money. I don't want it. It's not mine. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm working on that. I'm working on trying to get them to do that, and I'm working on getting the uh, fundraising live stream set up uh, for us to do, and and um, so. So those would be the things, uh, to learn more, to raise awareness. And, um, and at some point in the future, you should be able, there, there should be a place online where you can go and, and, um, and press a button and send them five bucks. Hell
0: yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, this has been your daily good morning, comrade. Thank you so much. Uh, one more time, where can we find more information and we can follow you on Twitter.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, the Valley Labor Report is on Twitter at Labor Reporters. We're on YouTube uh, at The Valley Labor Report. I'm on Twitter at Jacob M underscore A L David. My co host is on Twitter at Radical Unionist. That's R A D I C L Unionist. Those are all good places. And if you want to support the show, we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Valley Labor Report. We've got a really cool hat you can find at our website, TheValleyLaborReport.org. You know, you can imagine that businesses don't line up to advertise on a union talk <laughs> radio show. So all the help that we can get staying on the air would be beneficial. We're trying to get on the um, on the air in a station in Birmingham right now. So all, all the help that, that you could give us would, would be appreciated for sure.
0: Sure. Well, thanks everybody for watching. Uh, love you everybody. Bye.